You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. For this episode, I got to sit down with Holly Black and discuss her new adult novel, Book of Night, that comes out on May 3rd. She is the New York Times bestselling author of The Cruel Prince, The Spiderwick Chronicles, collaboration with Cassandra Clare. Holly Black has written over 30 stories for children and teens in the fantasy space and now adults. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If you are a big Holly Black fan, we would love to hear from you on our social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can send us an email at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com, or you can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. Hi, this is Emma, and I am here today with Holly Black. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Hello. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about your adult uh, debut book of night. This book is out May 3rd. And so the very first question I have about this book is, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about what this book is about? Sure. This is um, largely about um, a young lady named Charlie Hall, who's a thief of secrets She's been robbing gloomists who are shadow magicians uh, and stealing grimoires where they're writing down basically how magic works in this world um, for many, many, many years. But she is trying to stop all that and just live her life as a bartender in Western Massachusetts, living with her sister who is much too interested in shadow magic and her boyfriend who is shadowless and possibly soulless um and all that is going all that was going fine kind of fine uh until her past comes back and she discovers that um she's not the only one with secrets that's such a great description and so i'm curious where the idea for this book first came from so I guess there are three things. Um, the first one is there is this folkloric account about this woman who woke up on a hill and there was a little man who was um, cutting her shadow uh, with scissors. And she jumped up and she was left with, and he ran off and she was left with this feeling that if she hadn't interrupted him, something terrible would have happened, that the loss of her shadow would have been you know, a loss bigger than just that, but she couldn't quite understand what it was. And then um, I was walking back from town with my son 
And he was so fascinated with the way his shadow got longer and shorter and bifurcated when we were, you know, as we came between different lights. And I thought how about how shadows seem magic to all of us. They just, they're intuitively magical. There's something that, that, that shouldn't work as they work. You know, they're part of us and not part of us. Um, and so I was really interested in that. And then I guess the last thing was really figuring out who Charlie was. And, you know, um, I was really interested in somebody who was, you know, not necessarily on their first chance or making their first mistake, but possibly making their last mistake. And, you know, this was their last shot at turning things around. That's really interesting um, that you mentioned that because I, I was curious to maybe what drew you into wanting to make this an adult book. Um, and that sounds like that that's the reason instead of sort of discovering things for the first time, you have Charlie who's, you know, been through it several times. Um, and I, I honestly, from my perspective, Charlie was the reason that I really enjoyed this book. Her character was so compelling and interesting and layered. And it felt very much like somebody you might know or run into, which brings me to my next point. I saw um, that Lee Bardugo gave some really nice praise about this book. And I just want to read it because of course, leave it to another writer to perfectly describe how I was feeling about this book. Um, But she said that this book, the story is so believable in its magic. You'll be keeping one eye on your shadow as you turn the pages. And so my question to you within that, um, that praise is that the magical system that you've created in this book um, was very unique, but there were also parts of it that felt like it could be very real. And I'm curious what, what the inspiration was for sort of that magical system beyond the, the folklore you mentioned earlier, and just how you make things feel so real within these worlds. Well, first of all, thank you so much. That's such a kind thing to say about Charlie. And, and thank you to leave someone out there for those kind words. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up Charlie and then bring up the magic because um, I think in part, the magic system is about her. All books are torture devices, right? Created for their protagonist. You know, if, um, if a protagonist is afraid of a particular thing, it's gonna happen in the book. If they had a secret they hoped would never come out, it's gonna come out in the book. You know, things are perfectly calculated to make the worst stuff happen to protagonists. And to that same end, I think that magic has to be thematically connected to whatever it is that's going on with the protagonist. It has to, um, you know, it has to speak to their flaws or hidden parts or issues. And, you know, Charlie is someone who doesn't want to necessarily see herself clearly. She is somebody who is keeping herself in check and sabotaging herself in certain ways. Um, And who is shoving a lot of things sort of out of her mind or, and, you know, this is a magic system where one of the things that you can do if you have a quickened shadow 
is you can shove the stuff you don't want to deal with onto that shadow. But the more you do that, the more sentient it becomes. And what have you made? And so I think that, you know, one of the things that I had to do as I evolved the magic system is go back and forth between the story and the magic system, the story and the magic system. Um, you know, I started with stuff that felt folkloric. We have a tradition of actually um, shadow people and people's stories of shadow people and their accounts. And so I started with some of that. And then I just had to evolve it to be thematically consistent with the story I was telling and also story generative. Like there was a part where um, I had come up with a whole bunch of magic, but it didn't generate story. It was just cool. And so I had to put it aside in, you know, in favor of something that felt like it would make more story. Um, and then I guess lastly, in terms of the magic, it, it, it does have to be believable. It has to seem real. Like there was, um, there was a part when I was trying to figure out why my readers were bumping up against this idea that once glomists altered non-glomist shadows, the, the glom that the non-glomists had some kind of magic. And it was just what people believed to be true. It was just a thing that they thought should be true. And so I had to make it true because people would have just been hitting up against it forever otherwise. And so I think part of it is really finding out what do we really believe about shadows? What do we want to be true? What will we, you know, immediately accept as real and what are we going to hit back against? And I think that's a really great point. just in that the magic and um, you know, the way that it interacts with the book and Charlie, that they are so connected um, and sort of thinking back to when I first read it, like all of the things that make sense as you learn about the magic, as you learn about Charlie, it's interesting um, how those elements play off of one another in that story. Uh, I thought this was a really great read. It really felt like you were in this atmosphere. And I think part of that is um, as well that sometimes I think maybe when we think of magic, we maybe think of, you know, fun magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might just be, you know, the the Harry Potter influence or anything like that. But in this, this felt a much more, again, like real and gritty and a little bit more of like the dark side of magic that maybe isn't explored um, perhaps in young adult novels or or any like middle grade fantasy and things like that. So I really enjoyed the place that this has um, in your adult debut. And so I'm curious for you what it was like writing this book over the last couple of years. So it was, this was one of the most difficult books I've written. I'm not even sure why. When I started it, I was on a writing retreat um, with a bunch of people, but in particular with the writer Kelly Link. And each night I would give her a chapter of the book, a first chapter of this book. And she would be like, okay, this seems good. And then she would go to bed and then I would delete that chapter and write a new one. And then the next day she would be like, this chapter, also good, sure, let's go with this. And I would be like, okay. And then I would delete that one. I must've gone through five or six first chapters where I changed who the protagonist was, what the story was, what, you know, how the magic worked I changed everything and I was and normally the thing I start with is that first chapter and the thing I start with are those first lines and they feel just 
the way they're supposed to be. And I expand on that. And the fact I couldn't get this just drove me crazy. I just kept um, not knowing how to go forward until I got it, until I really got who Charlie was and what, I guess, what texture I wanted the story to have. And it proceeded from there where I just basically wrote, I never have a ton of extra words. And in this case, I had like two times the book over again because I kept writing parts of it and then realizing, no, that's not quite it and writing them again. And I'm not sure if it was an adult book. I'm not sure if it was a pandemic book. I'm not sure if it was just, you know, the book because, you know, every book is different and every book has its own problems. But for whatever reason, this was just very, very different to write. That's so interesting to hear that it, the first chapter went through so many iterations before the character kind of solidified. And I love what you said about sort of the texture, because I think that just feels really fitting to the way that this book made me feel as a reader. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare, all the things that weren't working, and said, enough. And they made booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com slash pro book nerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash pro book nerds. ZocDoc.com slash pro book nerds. And so I'm curious, we talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the things that you love about writing for YA that you brought into this adult book? Um, I love the way it's fast paced. Mm-hmm. One of the things that my editor really had to do was say, look, this in adult, you can slow down. You can luxuriate in these moments. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so used to cutting everything that, you know, that I can um, so, but I did want to bring, you know, I do, I do think of things as, as moving quickly. Um, and I like that. Um, I think that a lot of why it has a really tight focus on character. And I really like that. And I think that it's something that I wanted to continue to be able to do. So I think those are probably the two big things. That's great. My dog is snoring in the background. So I apologize. I'm going to get that out. So again, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this book is that the atmosphere and the world that you've created that Charlie and these characters live within is that it's, it's not that far off from our own existence. You know, we have shadows and a lot of these things sort of make you think about this could very, this could very much be real. What if this was um, something that we could encounter? And so I'm wondering if you have a particular approach when looking at this book in terms of how you 
just put all of the elements of the atmosphere, the city that they're in, the, you know, the bar that they're in at the start of the book and some of these other key locations, if that's based on places you're familiar with a combination of, you know, places you've invented, because every location that we're in and the atmosphere in this book felt so realistic. Like I could immediately see these characters in those places, you know, in the bar where she works and like without giving too much away in a particular mansion that plays a key part of the story. Um, you know, even in the house that Charlie shares with her sister and Vince, every setting was so, um, easily pictured and crafted. I'm curious how you, how you do that. And and if that's a combination of real places or just things you've, um, you've invented and also probably to do with the wonderful atmospheres you've created across many of your books, I'm sure. Well, I said, so I set this book near me. This is, um, set in Western Massachusetts where I currently am, um, and it's an interesting place and it's not a place I've written about a lot. Um, and so I, it was really fun to set things here and, and not everything in the book actually exists here, but some of the things do. And that was really helpful in terms of like figuring out how to ground things, how to, how, how to get the texture right, you know, because some of it is just, okay, I'm going to try to get it to be the way it is. Um, and so, uh, some of the things I had to research, like uh, the mansion, I, you know, but there are big mansions around here and, um, some of them are not really in the glory that they once had. And then you still have, and then you have mansions a little bit further out where they are absolutely, you know, fully, um, existing as these rich enclaves that are just a little bit outside the Hamptons. And um, so I was, or sorry, a little bit outside the Berkshires. I was like, not really the Hamptons, the Berkshires, which is sort of another of those, you know, enclaves of wealthy people who have giant mansions. And I looked up a lot of floor plans. I looked up a lot of um, real estate listings to try and figure out the mansion. And then I just, I kept going back into these places and thinking, okay, what can I do to make them seem, you know, a little bit more real and a little bit more hyper real in some cases, because in some cases, what I wanted was that sense of like a little bit more real than real. In particular, her bar, which is, you know, a little bit like my ideal bar rather than a real bar. Yeah. And that bar is almost a character in and of itself, just in the, the setting that it provides to the characters. That was a lot of fun um, to read about that. I'm curious for um, when you wrote this book, if the character of Charlie was the first one that you thought of, um, or if any of the other characters um, sort of stood out to you in those initial, you know, drafts that you were working on. Vince was actually the first character that I thought of, and I tried to write the book from his point of view a bunch of times. Um, but it turns out that it's really hard to write about a character who absolutely wants stasis. Like all he wants is for this book not to happen. And while Charlie wants that, Charlie also has an absolute appetite for chaos, which really helped um, 
you know, you don't have to give her much for her to get in trouble. Whereas he really, that he did not want this to happen. So um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could make it from his point of view and how to tell a story that was sort of, I mean, you know, all of the people were different as I were doing that, as I was doing that. Um, but he was the one I knew and she was the one I had to really get to know. And in the process, I realized, oh, it's her book. Now I understand why everything isn't working. That's so interesting to me that you, that Vince was the first one that you thought of. And I'm trying to imagine it from his perspective. He was such a fascinating character as well, but in an entirely different way. Um, And where I felt like I really knew Charlie as we were going through it, he was a little more aloof uh, to me. So that's really interesting that it was the opposite for you when you were creating these characters. Um, I really enjoyed Again, without spoiling this, because this will be out before the day before the book comes out. So we want to make sure we have a spoiler free chat. Um, The way that the story progresses with the two of them kept me like there were moments where I gasped aloud um, while reading. And my husband was like, what's happening? Like, why are you just shrieking uh, while reading this book? And I had to fill him in on the plot just without any context. I'm like, this just happened. Um, and he had no idea what else was happening, but he's like, oh, I can see how that would be a big, big <laughs> twist. So I really enjoyed how that sort of shook out without spoiling anything. Um, in my opinion, this story ends on what could maybe be considered a cliffhanger a little bit. And I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about what you're working on now and if we may see these characters again in the future. Yes, we will see these characters again. Um, I thought of this as a duology. So there is another book. Um, I'm not working on it now. Um, I'm working actually on a fairy book, um, a YA book. And so I will do that. And then um, I will come back and get to do the other half of the duology, which I'm really excited to do. Um, I think that it's really fun to once you have everybody set up, it's really exciting to get to play through. Now the magic system is, you know, set, everything is set. (laughs) This will be really, uh, I hope it'll be fun. I always tell myself it'll be fun. And then I hate it. I'm like, oh man, but I'm excited to come back and and get to do the rest. I'm so glad you said that it's going to be a duology because the whole time I was reading and I kind of got to the end, I said, there has to be more, Um, but I couldn't find anything confirming that yet. So I'm so glad to hear that uh, these characters will be back for us again. Um, And I know that people will be clamoring to read that once they've read Book of Night. I'm so proud. I hope so. Fingers crossed. But yeah, one of the things I really wanted to do with this was get to write about, you know, people in a relationship. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time is Ellen Kushner's Swords Point. And it starts with these people who are together. And I thought, I really want to do this. You don't see this that much. Man, now I know why. It's so structurally difficult. It was so structurally difficult. But it was something that I felt like I really couldn't do in YA. Yeah, that's really interesting that you point that out. I never, I don't think about what goes into, you know, the craft of, of creating these relationships, but I really enjoyed 
reading it. I normally read um, a lot of romance um, and a lot of fantasy, but not necessarily together. And so it is interesting when I find really good books that have elements of all of that, you know, fantasy, um, it's adult books, romance, etc. I enjoyed the relationship um, between Charlie and the it was like a, a good amount of spicy just thrown in there. There were some good like moments that I wasn't expecting, but I'm always a fan uh, of a little bit of spice and an adult read. <laughs> That's good to know. I am curious if there's anything that you want readers to take away from this book. Oh, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that a lot of times as adults, we become sort of fixed in place, right? And that chaos becomes less and less appealing. Obviously, there's good kinds of chaos. There's new jobs. There's, you know, children are moving or what have you. But I think that um, it was really, really interesting to come to this and sort of, um get to talk about the the sort of stagnation of adulthood, but also about like the, our shadow selves, right? The parts of us that we don't want to acknowledge, our shame and our fear and our desire. And um, I hope that there is some fun in exploring that. That's such a good takeaway. And I know you, you don't necessarily um, go into writing it with something like that in mind, um, but I always love to hear if there's anything in particular that you you would love if readers felt or, or took away from the story, um, even though, you know, you can certainly take away whatever um, you like from the book. I'm curious, uh, now that we've covered a lot of questions about Book of Night, I have some fun, not necessarily related to the book questions, if that's okay with you. Um, I'm curious if there's anything that you've been reading or watching lately that you've loved. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've been re- like, whenever I get this question, I'm always like, but I've been reading so many things and why has my mind gone completely blank? Um, I just read um, Olivia Blake's The Atlas Six, which I really enjoyed. That was really, really fun. Um, and in terms of what I've been watching, what have I been watching? Sadly, what I've really been watching is that organization show, The Home Edit, where they buy little, they have like little plastic things and they put all the things in other plastic things. Mm-hmm. Very satisfying. It's very satisfying to see the organization at the end. <laughs> they do the rainbow thing. I can see, um, although, you know, any listener maybe cannot, the, um, the rainbow bookshelves behind you. Yeah, my rainbow bookshelves, they're um, rainbow solely for the aesthetic of being on Zoom. It didn't look as nice <laughs> when I had it alphabetical. Um, I don't normally have my shelves rainbow. The rest of them are not. It's just this one. I'm curious uh, as well if there's anything in particular that you like to snack on or drink while you're writing, you know, whether it's like coffee or tea, if you have sort of set staples uh, during the writing and editing, pro- editing process. There's like endless cups of coffee. Mm. Just, you know, I have one now, I'll have one after that. 
I believe like coffee, coffee is like, it's great. When you're cold, you can have coffee. When you're hot, you can have iced coffee and refresh yourself. When you're sad, coffee will pick you up. When you're happy, you can celebrate with it. There is no occasion in which coffee is inappropriate. I am glad to hear you say that. I feel the exact same. And actually had this conversation with some friends yesterday about how coffee is one of uh, life's small pleasures, in my opinion. Um, When you're writing um, and editing and sort of working on your books, do you have a set process for each book or series or do you stray from that? Um, Is everything different or the same? I'm really curious on how you do that for your books. Well, so this is the, the part of the podcast in which I complain about my process because <laughs> I am constantly frustrated by it. I love, like much like watching the home edit, right? I love the idea of corralling things. I like note cards. I like markers. I like graph papers, you know? Um, and yet I really struggle to effectively outline it's all I want to do, but I'm not like, I'm always creating an outline and then veering off of it. As soon as, you know, as soon as I'm, as soon as the rubber hits the road, I discover all of the problems with my outline. And so I am forever, um, outlining books, getting stuck, you know, sort of managing to push my way through them And I feel like often the real work starts in the revision once I discover what it is I'm doing. And so the thing that I have been trying to do now is I've been trying to do fast drafts where I do just really, really quick and really, really bad drafts. And, you know, on the theory that if I'm going to get rid of everything I write the first time anyway, and that is often what I do, uh, I might as well not worry about whatever that is and get to the second part faster. Um, But my dream is to outline a book and write that book and not then massively gut that book. I mean, I will change anything. I just had a call uh, last night with my friends about the book I'm writing now. And I was like, you know, that secondary character that was on the journey with the main character. Yeah. I changed them out for a totally different character and they weren't even, they were like, yep, that sounds like you. That sounds right. They're just used to it now. Yeah. So don't get too attached to the characters no. too early on in the process. Or the villains or the plot mm-hmm. or the entire magic system. <laughs> Um, that's so interesting. And when you're working on these books, um, you know, sort of writing and editing, do you like to work in a certain place, like in your office, or do you like to change up the scene when you're working on these? So, um, for a long time, I would meet my friends out at coffee shops and, um, cause, uh, um, Kelly Link, who I was talking about, and then Cassandra Claire both live around here and we would meet up and do that. And then for a while we would meet up at Cassie's house um and right there but you know since the beginning of the pandemic I sort of had to tunnel back into my office which had become just a deposit you know a place where I put books big boxes of books and papers and so I've been writing here with a desktop I have two monitors now I have a whole different life and it's been really interesting so sometimes we'll still meet up but um but I've been 
um, trying more and more to write in here alone and see how it goes. It goes medium. And as maybe things from the pandemic hopefully improve, do you think you'll keep sort of both aspects of those writing practices, you know, a little bit social and a little bit at home? I do. I mean, I think um, I've come to really like working on my desktop. I've come to really like having some time where I'm just by myself doing this. Um, And yet I... I definitely miss having company. I definitely miss having the experience of writing near your friends where you can say, hey, I'm stuck on this. What do you think? Or can you quick read this paragraph and tell me if it's bad? Um, Or just, you know, just having an environment where you can talk about professional stuff that's happening often at the same time. I miss that a lot, but I do think that there's been something really fun about rediscovering this space and, you know, rediscovering writing entirely by myself. Exactly. I think and hope that maybe we'll have a good middle ground going forward since there was a lot of in-person, you know, and collaboration in general, and then all of that was stripped away. And so sort of having that nice um, balance, I think would be great as hopefully things continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a little bit about some of your upcoming projects and things, but I wanted to formally ask you if you have any, um, other projects and things in the works that you wanted to talk about, um, or that we could promote. Yeah. No, I, um, I am going to get to talk about the next thing that I'm doing in June. Uh, and that's the very project. And then, um, and then there's, you know, more book of night. And I don't have, beyond that, I do not have any projects other than, I guess, what well, we do have, um, I was trying to a little bit before we started about the um, spider adaptation that's going to come from Disney Plus, which I'm really excited about too. We got to hang out in the writer's room and see how writers work on scripts. It's been a true joy. That's so exciting. And for our listeners, Joe is a large, large fan of the Spiderwick Chronicles. So that news uh, made his morning <laughs> to hear that there's going to be another adaptation on Disney plus. Um, that's really exciting to, um, see your work have maybe renewed life in different adaptations, um, again and again, I'm excited to have other people read book of night and have that in the world. So, uh, selfishly so that I can discuss it. So that book again is book of night. It comes out May 3rd. And just to sort of wrap us up, um, where can our listeners find you on social media or um, if you have a website or anything we can direct them to? Uh, My website is blackholly.com and I have a Twitter and an Instagram, which are either hollyblack or blackholly.com, depending on which one it is. Um, And I'm going to be also out in the world. I'm going on tour in the physical realm. Uh, on May 3rd, I'm starting it. I'm going to be in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, so hopefully I'll see some people out there. It's so exciting to see authors returning to in-person events. Um, you're not going to be near Cleveland, are you, by any chance? Alas, I do not think so. <laughs> Maybe for the next one. Uh, we yeah. would love to have you in Cleveland. Although it's snowing today, so maybe not. <laughs> it was snowing on Easter here. So I'm, you know, I'm in for it. I can, I can take it. That's good to know. You can tolerate fake spring 
um, as we call it here. Um, we really appreciate having you on. I'm so excited to learn more about Book of Night, and I'm really excited to hear that uh, we're going to get to see these characters again in the future. It was so wonderful to talk to you, and we are so grateful that you came to chat with the professional book nerds. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so great to spend some time with you both. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.